listening to Making Our Way, a podcast where we have conversations about some of the toughest and best moments in life, a place where we get a chance to hear from people who are creating a way forward in spite of and sometimes because of the struggles they face. This is a place for connection, to gain strength from each other. We are each other's keepers, and we can also be each other's teachers. We are better together. I'm your host, Marisa Penrod. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Making Our Way. Today, we're talking with Claire Hogan. Claire is a nationally certified and licensed professional counselor. She'll tell you that her passion is creating safe and unconditionally supportive space for her clients as they cope, grow, and experience their own unique life journey. But Claire is a lot more than that to me. I sometimes talk about the earliest moments after my youngest son, Joseph, was diagnosed with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And one of my very first reactions amidst the horrible fear and grief was thinking to myself, I am going to need a really good therapist to get through this. And I did. And I have one. It's Claire. She's been my rock, my sounding board, and my guide for over a decade. She has walked with me through the diagnosis, through caring for my elderly parents, navigating a pretty big life transition to single parenthood, and a whole lot more. There's such a needed focus on mental health today, and thank goodness for that. So I wanted to pull back the curtain a little bit on my own journey. We're not going to talk about all the intimate details of what I talk about with Claire, but the two of us did decide to focus on something today that I've worked on myself and that we all need, and that is self-care. I just a couple of minutes ago put self-care in the search bar on my computer and then under one minute, no, no, it's not a minute, under one second, 0.62 seconds to be exact, Google came back with 2.9 billion results and under one second, almost 3 billion results. So obviously, self-care is a hot topic and it's important. We're coming out of a global pandemic. Our days and our lives and in our years, maybe, often feel like they're just upside down. And we all need help sometimes. But with so much information out there about it, how do we dig into it? How do we figure out what self-care means for us, for each of us individually, and also what it doesn't mean for us? And that's what we're going to touch on. Claire is going to give us some thoughts on why self-care matters, how it impacts our quality of life, and she's going to teach us a technique that in just 60 seconds every day can make a big difference for us. What she shares with us requires no equipment, no special training, it's free, and you can do it anywhere. Claire also has a wonderful take on the special stress for those of us who are caregivers and how to approach taking care of us, of of ourselves, so it doesn't feel stressful or selfish or like it's one more thing on the to-do list. I have said for years that everyone needs a Claire in their lives, so I'm really excited that today, if you're listening in, you do in fact get Claire in your life for at least these next 30 minutes or so. This one's for everyone, men, women, kids, caregivers, non-caregivers, parents, non-parents. I'm just so glad that you're here with us for this conversation. 
Hi, Claire. It's uh, so good to have you here with us. Hi, Marisa. I am so excited to be here today. I am so glad to have you and get to share you with everybody else. I have over the years referred so many people to you, but now I get to just, we get to put your thoughts out there to anybody who's listening, which is great. There are so many things that we could talk about, but we decided that we're going to focus today on self-care because it's so important. And especially, you know, we're beyond a year into COVID. We're dealing with a lot of extra stress and strain. But even before that, self-care, you know, is important, but we want to talk about what it is, what mm-hmm. it's not, and and how to do it and what works for everybody. So absolutely. Can we start with you just sort of telling us what is self-care? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's such an umbrella concept, isn't it? You know, and something that is thrown out so easily. And you and I have talked about this, like when people just say you need self-care or make sure you're taking care of yourself. And it sounds so simple. And actually it is self pretty simple, but the concept itself is so broad. So what I always say, if I had to break it down into, into two things, I have more to add on terms, in terms of what it isn't, but what it is, is I always like to say it's restorative and it's intentional. And I think when we can pocket it into those two elements, that it's restorative to your well-being and it's holding some intention of I'm, I'm allowing space and time in my day for this, that typically is what self-care would look like. We should on ourselves. That's what I always say. Like, don't mm-hmm. should on yourselves. Like, I should do this or I should do that. So even though there are elements of our world that are good for us, like exercise, it's mm-hmm. good for us. It's usually restorative. The part of it, when it's when it's holding shame or guilt, like I should make time for exercise and it feels like something we don't want to do, in that, in that lane, that would not be considered self-care in that moment. If right. that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense because I mm-hmm. think I live that a lot mm-hmm. where it's one more thing on the to-do list. And yes. so it feels really big and it's, you. I know I should do certain things, should. Mm-hmm. See, I just use the word. Yes. Um, but it's really hard to to manage that not becoming a stressor in and of itself, which is so ironic because self-care is supposed to be good for us. Yes. But it can be pressure that we add on to our to ourselves. So when you say, let, let me back up to where mm-hmm. you said it's restorative. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for us? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I always try to encourage my clients to like find the different parts of their identity. So we, we all have a physical self, a spiritual self, environmental or or nature self, an emotional, relational, social, like there's so many Mm -hmm. different buckets of who we are that deserve attention from time to time. And it's never going to be across the board where we're going to be able to fit deposits into those buckets all the time. So what I what I try to encourage people is to look at all these parts of who they are and really and write them down, you know, like because some people might have a professional or an academic part of themselves where other people that's a closed season of their life. And so finding out, you know, what are your buckets in front of you and where where does your fabric feel torn? Like where are you feeling kind of the wear and tear mm-hmm. of life and stress and well-being that that you know that that needs some intentionality. And one of the things that I'll talk about in a little bit but is how, how small and impactful self-care can actually be. A lot of times we have this daunting feeling that we need an hour walk or we need a 60-minute meditation track. And, and self-care can be so condensed. It, it's like a power punch mm-hmm. when we do it right. And when 
again, when we're not putting it in the bucket of I should be doing this, or I know this would be good for me, we can really find really meaningful ways to fill up our buckets and feel the lift of that without feeling the burden of Mm -hmm. what you should or ought to be to be doing in your health or well-being. So let's talk about that part, Claire, when you say it doesn't have to feel big, because I think for so many of us, that is an issue where, and and it's almost kind of like the martyr syndrome of, of, you know, like, oh, I have all these other things to do. I have all these people who need me. I have all these things on my list. I couldn't possibly take care of myself. Mm -hmm. So you told us a little bit about what it is being restorative and intentional, but why does it matter? Why does self-care matter? Why is it important? Because that, I know, to me, helps me say, well, I do need to make it a priority, even if it's yes. only in little chunks of time. So yes. what's, our, what's our why? It's really the crux of quality of life. And, and it's hard for us to view it as such because mm-hmm. so many of us are used to coasting on fumes and we can do it, right? Yeah. We, can, we can stay up later than we need to. We can take on more than we should. We stretch ourselves to the max, especially in our culture, overworking, overcommitting is celebrated and lauded. And so it's hard for us to view self-care as, as truly the whole bedrock of what allows you to have a, a quality of life where you feel balance and moments of peace and well-being that transcend just stressors. A good way to posture it is, you know how there's the difference of happiness and joy, how happiness is circumstantial, it's fleeting, it's kind of tied to these moments, Mm -hmm. still so important, beautiful, but joy is kind of the full bedrock of gratitude and present, present living and mindfulness. And that's, that's how I would equate self care is that there are moments where we won't feel the burdens that are in front of us. But if we can set up a bedrock and a foundation of just intentional moments through our day where we're finding that frayed fabric, it really sets us up for balance and peace in moments that are not only good, but very difficult in life too. And so one of the things that you and I had talked about, Marisa, was what is it not? Mm -hmm. But it's not optional. It really isn't. Mm -hmm. Like if we we want a sustained momentum of balance where we're able to triangulize the stressors, the pain that we go through, grief, all the the tough things in life with goodness and joy and peace. Mm -hmm. We really have to have that bedrock of self-care where it's a part of our weekly our weekly practice and our weekly existence. Mm -hmm. And again, in a way that doesn't feel daunting and not off-putting. Yeah. It's a, it's a tall order. And I think sometimes I think of it when you and I have talked um, about self-care, I, it helps me to think of it as self-love, yes. like just loving yourself. I love and, that. And the way that I've shared with a couple of friends of mine is I say, you know, when you're, you feel like you just, you can't make yourself a priority. That's, that's when you need it more. Right. So there's yes. an irony there. It's when you're at your lowest and you're struggling the most that you need the most self-care, but it's when we seem least able to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I now look at it as, how would I treat my best friend? Yes. Like if I was my best friend, and isn't that the way it should be? Yes. <laughs> we are our best yes, friend. Yes, absolutely. So how would I treat my best friend? I would tell her to take a nap. Yeah. I would tell yes. her to sit outside and just 
stare at nature for five minutes. I would tell her to stop and have a cup of tea, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. And so I know it's changed things for me when I, I'm able to let myself take care of myself by saying it's just self-love. Yes. That is a beautiful way to, to reframe that and rephrase that, Marisa, because it actually makes it more appealing. <laughs> it feels like it takes the pressure off of it where it, it's become this, it's a, a terminology that I think most people have actually become pretty adverse to mm-hmm. because of the pressure-filled nature of it. But when we can view it through a lens that, like you said, somebody that we care about deeply and would offer that up to them mm-hmm. so freely and then to extend it to ourselves, Like that's a really beautiful way to rephrase that. Well, thanks. You've taught me well, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing um, the work. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so you talked a little bit about what it's not in the should, right? And mm-hmm. I love that because I mean, in my personal life with, you know, just being a single mom, raising three kids, obviously with Joseph having Duchenne and some really significant needs, people will say things to me, and I know they're well-intentioned, but they'll say things like, you should get some rest. <laughs> I will think, <laughs> yes, gosh, I never thought of that before. Thank you for that hot tip. <laughs> yes, I know that I need rest. Or they'll say, have you thought about taking a vacation? You know, you should go to yoga. Yes. And, and what worries me when we talk about self-care and self-love is that it's become commoditized. It's yes. become a marketing handle. And that really bothers me. So mm-hmm. when we talk about what it's not, you know, to me, it is not a subscription or a membership. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, you have to do yoga three times a week or you have to meditate an hour a day. That's right. I, and if it works for you, that's fine. I mean, if that brings you joy and peace, that's great. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not that you shouldn't do any of those things. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that real self-care is is promoted through marketing. Commercialized, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I think that's a little bit alarming because mm-hmm. then, I mean, I've tried those things and I'm like, mm-hmm. but I still don't feel peaceful. I still don't feel better. Yes. So yeah. how do we discern what works for us? Mm-hmm. And it's not a one size fits all. That's right. That's right. Something I like to tell my clients when we're looking at anxiety is that a lot of people view anxiety as worry. That when you are anxious, that you are worrying, you're worrying too much, you're worrying excessively. And I always tell them that worrying can be a part of anxiety, but worrying is not anxiety. And and similarly to self-care, the commercialized aspects of it. So yoga, meditation, massage, you know, they can be part of self-care, but they are not the whole of self-care because most people don't have time for it, may not have finances for it. Mm-hmm. And it really just, it's kind of the over-marketing of self-care has really polarized, you know, who has time for this and who has time for that. And so, like you said, if those are part of your self-care, that's wonderful, but that is not the, the foundation or bedrock of what self-care is two things that self-care should not feel like is selfish and indulgent, right? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes those can translate those feelings to, to certain people. And so I always say, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. that foundational, you know, it's talking about the whole foundation of our needs starts with like our safety and our, our nurturance and our shelter. Mm-hmm. And so self-care, when it can fall into kind of that lower lower need level, that's where I think most people really resonate it. And I think what you'll find is that it's really quick. And so 
when I'm trying to get clients to start opening up their mind to what self-care is, I usually direct them into three different pockets. And so usually I encourage them to incorporate sunlight, air, and breath. And so those are three things that any of us can access at any point, mm-hmm. unless it's a really rainy day, but still. Unless you live in Michigan, yeah, it's, <laughs> like we do. We have the challenge like, with the yes, sunlight, but that's we can right. try. We are, if you can find sunlight and air and take 60 seconds of intentional diaphragmic breath work, 99% of people would tell you that they can actually feel lighter, that they actually feel like the respite and the space that's created from that. And it wasn't an hour and a half long CrossFit video, and it wasn't a huge bike ride. And again, those things are incredible if you can find the space and time. But for most people who are caregiving in any potential, they don't have that. It is just as effective. Mm-hmm. It's accessible to everybody. And it's incredibly impactful to the conversation our body has with our brain that sends a message that I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, most of us are sustained by our brain's survival and stress responses. So it's desire to take care of us, to protect us. But what that often means is that we're coasting on stress hormones throughout the day. We're, we're truly running on adrenaline and cortisol and norepinephrine and noradrenaline and things that are very helpful when we need them, but can really just erode our sense of well-being when when they're in excess. And so those three things I have found just, just as a starting point, it's mm-hmm. not the totality of self-care, but it gives people a realistic place to start where they're usually not resistant to me encouraging it, right? You say 60 seconds, you know, Six, a, a, yep. just a minute, literally a minute. Yes. And I love to do this, what you talk about. And so mm-hmm. I even set an alarm on my phone just as a reminder. So even yes. if it's three o'clock in the afternoon and the alarm goes off and I can't quite get to it, you know, I can yeah. hit the snooze button and it'll remind me a few minutes later. But it, will you take us through that, Claire? Just mm-hmm. a, a little 60 second exercise. What exactly does it look like when you say sunlight, air, and breath? If you can do it all at once, that's great. Like if you can find yourself in a stressful moment at work, or let's say you're at home and you just need some quiet time, but you're not able to leave. So maybe you're with your children or your caregiving, or, you know, a, a porch visit is mm-hmm. perfect in those moments. But where if you can just tuck away for a moment, if you can be outside where there's sunlight and air, that's helpful. If not, anywhere you're at is great. But the whole nature of diaphragmic breath is to slow your heart rate. And when we slow our heart rate, there's a really powerful, shift that your brain hears in terms of keep going, you know, keep her, keep her alert, keep her active, you know, kind of that, that high impact stress response that we, we can sometimes rest and find ourselves in too often. And when our heart rate slows, our, our pulse and our blood pressure follow accordingly. And then your brain starts to take that in that, oh my goodness, look, we're slowing down. Do you see that? Like, do you see the heart slowing down and your brain registers? Maybe she doesn't need this. Maybe we don't need the extra dosing of stress hormones or cortisol. Mm -hmm. And so there's a very profound shift in chemicals and release and stress response Mm -hmm. and relaxation. And it's something, if I'm honest, Marisa, counselors can be, it's kind of like how nurses and doctors are really bad patients. And so this year for me, specifically with COVID has been a really profound 
time, just in terms of mental health care and what it's felt like for practitioners. And I've really tried to return to my breath. And I know that sounds really Eastern philosophy, but it's one of those aha moments where I was like, oh, this works. Like taking 60 seconds to breathe in slowly, hold the pause and then breathe out through your nose for 60 seconds. My body feels so different when I'm done with it. And I can do it when I'm driving in the shower, driving my kids to school, doing a, a counseling session. And my body has a moment where I'm just able to take care of it in a way that feels very scientific, very chemically oriented and people feel it and I feel it. And so helping people understand what diaphragmic breath looks like, how easy it is, but also there is something about being outside that most people have an automatic innate relaxation response to it. So just sitting on your porch sticking your head out a window, rolling your windows down while you're driving. Mm -hmm. Those are things that you will, you'll typically hear people associate with feeling free, feeling light. That's where I tend to start people instead of this feeling of, I have to journal for 30 minutes at night, or I have to work out or do all these Mm -hmm. things that feel really daunting. And I love that because this just hit me so hard because there's there's no expectation with this exercise. Mm-hmm. And with everything else, there's an expectation. Like I'm a very positive, grateful person, but I know for some people, when you say to them, have you ever thought about just writing a list of everything you're grateful for? And, and they'll look at me and they're like, I'm not grateful for anything today. Yes, yes. <laughs> I just can't go there. And yes. so what I love about this is there's no expectation. It's just, it is what it is. Like yes. just breathe for 60 yes. seconds. Yeah, It's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're kind of beyond that, or you you're like, you know, no, I do that. I, or I mm-hmm. meditate for a little bit, or I do the breath work, or if people are saying, oh, I can do 60 seconds. What else can I do after that? Yes. What else does self-care look like? For most of us, it's anchoring into the present. So mm-hmm. self-care is an anecdote to trauma in our past or difficulty or stress, but also our worry in the future. You know, what we're taking in when when our lens is, is kind of bird's eye panning into all that's in front of us. And that can be as simple as dinner and groceries and mm-hmm. um, packing up backpacks to incredible loss or, you know, anticipatory stressors that are ahead of us. And so self-care should, and hopefully anchors us right into the present moment. Mm-hmm. And that can look like things like we've talked about that on the front end might feel I can't do that. I don't have time for that. But as if, as we expand our palette for it, journaling, you know, really being able to process thoughts and feelings without judgment and without expectation, certainly just body work. Like you've talked about, there's something so important about our body and how it holds our stress and how it holds our trauma. And we talk about it, you know, like, oh, I hold my stress in my neck. You'll you'll Mm -hmm. hear people say but body work is another incredible way to help anchor us into the moment, but also help our, our physical mm-hmm. container of our stress to kind of find an outlet. And then certainly I would, I would say that most of us need community. All of us need community. Yes. I've been thinking a lot about that lately because there's, there's so much in our national conversation about caregivers and caregiver mm-hmm. support. Yes. And, and a lot of it comes down to, um, you know, what we have on our plate and how much we have to do. Mm -hmm. And 
I think it's AARP. ARP has a statistic that I think there are 53 million people in America who are caregivers at, at this moment. So, and we know that that's a cycle, right? So mm-hmm. almost everybody's going to at some point in their life have a caregiving role, whether it's for, you know, a child or a, a parent or a friend, or right. in some way we all fall into those caregiver roles at some point. Mm-hmm. And I think we talk about, you know, taking care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think I don't need self-care. I, I need help. Yes. Like I actually yes. just need help. I need somebody to help me yes. or I need community care. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'd love to just talk about that. How do we bridge that to, we also need a community. We need to yes. take care of each other. Mm-hmm. Like today, I don't feel like I need self-care. I just feel like I need somebody to bring me a cheeseburger. Yes. <laughs> Give me a hug. That's right. That's um, right. Yes. So what does that look like in terms of self-care? Because I feel like I also have a responsibility to tell people I need help. Yeah. That's a very, very difficult thing to do. Absolutely. I think as many of us grow into life, we find our social sphere, mm-hmm. um, you know, just kind of taking a different shape than our younger 20s where friendships and sometimes there tends to be more active connecting, but it's often not as depthful. And if we can place priority in finding people in our lives as we age that have meaningful and reciprocal connection with us, when we do hit those roles of caregiving, it tends to just soften the experience. And it's so worth our time and energy. Sometimes it's exhausting if, if you don't already have that in your life, the idea of how do I make these connections or meet new friends. And that's why like the communities of whatever pocket we're in, whether it's Duchenne for myself, the infertility community or whatever pocket people are are longing to find that connection because the isolating nature of just life at times can feel really profound. We're in such an amazing time where we talk about depression and anxiety and self-care and well-being so often. There's so many books out there. There's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a very normalized part of conversation. Stigma is falling and access to just the therapeutic relationship is everywhere. But sometimes it puts this extra layer of we constantly need to be doing something or growing or working on this or pruning this out of our lives when it's like sometimes you just need somebody who can see you and know you and encourage you just by being present. So to find people where you can just be as raw and fragile as you need, you can be angry, you can be sad. And that looks like what you say, what you feel, how you're presenting and all your behaviors and you're just unconditionally accepted that that is so much more reparative and sustaining than some of the more commercialized forms of self-care that we we often have touted at us. Yeah, I think so too. Just finding your people. That's and right. I know, so, so for me in the Duchenne world, uh, a lot of families and parents will say this, that it's the, the best family that you never wanted to be a part yes. of. Right? Like we wouldn't yes. have chosen it. But yeah. there are a lot of people who I find support and friendship from that I may not have been friends with them otherwise. That's right. But you have something in common. You're probably your most difficult journey and you're in it together. And I think that it's very comforting. After Joseph was diagnosed, that one of the most powerful things that I could do was to say no. Mm. And that became a form of self-care for me. And it was kind of, kind of silly. There were some serious things like, okay, he's not going to be able to 
you know, be on the regular soccer team. I, mm. I didn't get to say no. I just had to accept it and figure out. Sure. But there were other things that I found myself just feeling overwhelmed with. And like one of them was I used to get this magazine that would give you great ideas, you know, how to have fun with your kids. And I'll never forget there was a Valentine's issue and it was like, you know, how to make heart-shaped garland and string it up across your kitchen. And yes. I was so like, oh, I can cut construction paper. Let's do this, kids. And, you know, it was just one of those moments where I, was, I had to go get pink construction paper and I had to find the time to, you know, figure out the instructions. And and literally when I was done, I think we, we ended up with pink confetti. I mean, there was no garland. I was like, you know what? I got to let go of this stuff. That's right. And so that magazine came in the mailbox the next month and I did not even look at that cover and I walked right to the garbage can and I threw it out and I'm like, you That's know what? Right. Special family magazine. You and I can't be friends. Like, yes. This is not Fantastic self-care on your part, may I add. Very yes. liberating. It was amazing. <laughs> I'm like, you are in the trash. But it's really hard for yeah. us because there's so much pressure about, especially when we have kids, about here's what it looks like. Here's what everybody does. Here's what it should look like. And it doesn't come with an instruction book. That's right. And parenting, it's hard enough, right? Yeah. And there's so much comparison. And now, now when we add in the component of social media, where we live in a Pinterest world, where everything has to be to the standard or this mm -hmm. creative, what was meant for good has certainly, you know, done the opposite. And especially when we're talking about self-care and the word that hopefully all of you are hearing all the time lately, it's gained so much traction, it's just boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so it is up to us to take inventory of what is permeating our home, mm -hmm. what is stealing our energy, what is stealing our joy, even when it was meant for good. But I think what you'll find when you're talking to most families, moms, is that all of those things contribute to just an extra layer of, I'm not doing this as well, or this mom did this, and or these kids have this. And it's just not true. You know, when you look yeah. at your kids, what, what our families need is simplicity. <laughs> They're just looking at is mom. Does mom look relaxed? Yeah. Does is mom she happy? To yes. Is the tenor of her voice calm? And so, having the boundary to say this is not important to our family, and and as a mom and as a caregiver, this is mm -hmm. taking away. So interesting. Talk to me just for a minute about the difference mm -hmm. between men and women. Mm -hmm. um, not even moms and dads, because there are people mm -hmm. who, you know, don't have children and That's still right. are, That's right. should take care of themselves. And mm -hmm. I, you see, I did it again. I said, should, it would be good for them to take care of themselves. Yes. <laughs> I have a work in process. Yes. Um, but what is, how does it look different for men versus women or, or moms versus dad, if you're a, yeah. a parent? Yeah. Because um, I think, societally, there are still, there are still some st stigmas about mm -hmm. men needing care and to take care of themselves. That's right. We are hopefully shifting a dialogue of men's mental health care looks like and stigmas of don't feel, just do, you know, we're, we're moving out of that, but it's certainly something where it, it just needs more conversation in terms of what that looks like. I would say that Oftentimes, when I look at the couples I work with, some of the marital discord comes from females kind of, I'm going to just be unfiltered and call it martyr syndrome, where there's kind of just out of the necessity, but it can move into a wall of, I don't have time for that, or I would never, you know, I could never fit that in. I have all of this to do where 
where men tend to actually, when we allow them without this connotation of selfishness, they actually often more primally know what they need and, Mm -hmm. and find space for it. And sometimes that's where we see discord is he's golfing twice this week or, you know, he's, he's out doing yard work for an extra hour. Yes. The man cave, the infamous man cave. And on the front of that, it can cause some discord, but when we unpack it, like there's such goodness to that, we just need to find the balance of it, you know? And so encouraging men and women to know again, what's your fabric? Where are you feeling torn? What bucket is empty? And what do you need? And just knowing you can't take care of anybody else if you don't know the parts of you that are fractured or empty or needing care. We have to know ourselves. So powerful. So Claire, you know, I am a huge advocate for getting help and counseling and just Mm -hmm. having support. And it was really interesting for me. It's about a year ago, a person that I know kind of casually, I was saying something about counseling and I said, oh, I have the best counselor. And she paused and she looked at me and she said, Marisa, I never would have guessed that you have a counselor. And I just smiled and I thought, well, that's so interesting. And I said, why, why do you say that? And she said, because you're just happy and you're, you know, you seem so together and well-adjusted and in like life is good. And so I said, that's because I have a counselor. (laughs) That's why. And I think that the analogy I always use is that, you know, we, we don't wait to change the oil in our car until the engine burns up. Right. That's right. Now some of, some people do and it's, but it's a really expensive repair, right. And then it's a much bigger deal. You might be stranded on the side of the road. So best practices don't wait till your engine burns up to get the oil changed. And I think sometimes people think they have to be falling apart Mm. in order to say, I would like to proactively, I'd like to just have somebody to talk to, or I'd like to take better care of myself. I'm okay, but I'd like to take better care of myself or make sure that I stay okay. Yes. So how do you start? How do you dip your toe into that? Because I think there are people still who are a little bit afraid. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I think of my clients, like I am, and certainly I know there are subsets of the mental health world that are different. The clients I work with, most of them I've worked with for over 10 years. And it's just a constant presence where I know you, I hear you, I see you, you are, you are just as precious to me as hopefully I am helpful. I know cousins names, I know family deaths, I know important meetings coming up. It's just a safe and steady place. You are the keeper, Claire. Yes. Well, it's, it's my whole joy. And it, it's so fulfilling. But most sometimes I'll hear my clients come in and say, I don't even know what we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, that's great. And, and also that's my job. You know, it's, it's my job. You don't have to have a big explosion going on. There's something called the three C's that I, I sometimes help my clients pocket into the counseling experience that most people are coming to counseling to either make a change, to make a choice or to cope. And for many of us, and coping, coping sounds daunting, right? Where coping can sound like something needs to be going on, but it's just living life. In, in all of the nuances of our week, there's bound to be moments that are full of gratitude and successes and joys. And then there are moments where 
we are questioning ourselves or that conversation went differently than we had hoped, or I want to change this way I think in this, in this realm. And so counseling does not need to be catastrophic. It's often best if you can just find somebody that you enjoy talking to. And that way, over the years, over the months, I have people that I see weekly. I have people that I see quarterly. Counseling is just as important as working out in my book or getting good sleep or eating nutritiously. Our mental health has the potential to affect our physical health in enormous ways. And so it's just part of comprehensive self-care. doesn't need to be all the time, but just trusting the process and finding somebody that you just really enjoy who is so happy to get in the hole with you and bring the pizza and just know your world. Yeah. And I love what you say about it, comprehensive self-care because You know, there's that old saying, you can't pour from an empty pitcher. I think of that with caregiving and how stressful this is as a caregiver myself. And I cared, you know, for both my mom and my dad, my, Mm -hmm. you know, my brothers and sisters and I did for my mom and my dad as, as they were dying and it's, it's brutal. And knowing I just had some strategies to turn to Mm -hmm. and also you to turn to, Mm -hmm. it was, it was, it was a lifesaver for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm. I'm your biggest fan. (laughs) fan. And the feeling Um, is mutual. Yeah. Thanks, Claire. Is there anything else you want to share with us as we wrap up just about the dynamics of caring for other people, but still needing to care for yourself? I know Mm -hmm. you have some personal experience with that as, of course, a counselor, but your own journey in life. And what does that look like? Sure. Yep. So the idea of, if you think of stress, a lot of times That's an innate part of our world and our life, especially when we're caregivers, but the idea of distress, right? So when we're in distress, we don't have, we don't have to be in that space. Sometimes we are convinced that this is just our norm. I really try to challenge people that just small amounts of movement and space can keep us going in a way that it feels very manageable. So I I tell my clients this a lot, but if you can picture a, a 20 ounce of Coke, you know, and just... If, if every, every time you felt fragile or raw or stressed or just the burdens of what the day might hold, and you can picture shaking that 20 ounce, mm-hmm. you can picture the pressure that's building sure. and how that carbonation is creating bubbles that are, are filling up that top portion. And pretty soon it's like, it's, it's held together by this really fragile uh, little tight lid and this piece of plastic that's kind of holding it all together. And the second that came off, we all know what's going to happen. It's like this overflow. So what I try to encourage people and what I had, what I do myself as a counselor and what I've done in moments where my heart has been heavy or fragile, but I still needed to be able to care Mm -hmm. is to make sure that I know what it feels like to feel the pressure building and not withhold myself chances to crack that lid let the carbonation have mm-hmm. space. Some of it might pour out. It yep. might get messy for a minute. And yep. then I'm able to look in my pot bottle has that little space at the top again. And I put that top back on. And so for me that oftentimes I'm such a believer in tears and, and the healing power of uh, being tearful and allowing, we, we have mislabeled what tears are. We think that they're, they're, they're weak. It shows that we're not coping well. And instead it's our body's most beautiful way of saying, do you need some endorphins? I've got a quick way 
like, let me, let me give you this flow. And it kind of just fills in the, the cracks of, of where we're feeling really raw and broken. And most people after a cry, you'll hear, I just needed a good cry or it like, it feels so good. So for me, I try to make sure I let myself cry whenever I need to, because it's, it lets me open that pot bottle, release the pressure. I have movement and space in my container to now move forward into my day to take care of who I need to take care of. But that could also look like tearfulness, but also the deep breathing, the things that take one minute, just one minute, you know, or, or three minutes of this, or just a short time to open it, let that release go so you can move forward into who you need to take care of. And it works. And it's how we manage this. We're never going to be void of feeling the weight of what's in front of us and who needs us and how they need us. But we can just have enough space and care to find ways to make it through that next stretch. And that's, that's where we stay. And that's, that's how we do life. Yeah. One minute at a time. That's right. I love that, Claire. That's so powerful. You make it so accessible mm-hmm. to everybody. And I know for me, you take away the excuses, right? Like, like 60 right. seconds. I mean, I can't deny that I've got 60 seconds. That's right. Yeah. You are amazing. I've, I've known you're amazing for the more than 10 years now, but I'm so glad um, to share you with everybody else. Thanks for being here. And thanks for sharing your your wisdom and your heart and just your great desire to help people. We're lucky to have you. Feelings mutual. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Making Our Way. If you enjoyed this, please share it and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any episodes. Production support was generously provided by PTC Therapeutics and Sarepta Therapeutics. Thank you for making this possible. If you'd like to learn more about the work that Team Joseph is doing to support the Duchenne community and to make the world a better place, please visit us at teamjoseph.org.